turn in your text to Romans chapter 12. We look again at verses 1 and 2. Uh, last week we looked in depth at verse 1, and today we look at verse 2a, the first line. And um, are you in a rush? I'm not in a rush, so we'll just do that. You know, there's um, uh, an aspect of the Christian life that the Bible um, phrases this way. It says, be in the world, but not of the world. That is, we, we have a missionary imperative. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the world. You've, you've got to go into the world and tell them about the love of God. Tell them about the victory of Christ on the cross. Tell them that there is resurrection power in life for those who believe in Jesus Christ. So we have to be in the world in order to be obedient to the command to go and to tell, to share, and to witness. So it's necessary for us to be in the world. But the Bible goes on to say, but don't be of the world. Don't find the root of your existence in the world. Don't find the definition in the world. Don't find the, the shape and the form of your life in what the world is doing. So be in the world, but don't be of the world. Now, the difficulty with that is that when you live in a polluted city, you breathe polluted air and it pollutes your lungs. Um, I have never lived in New York City, but I did stay there once for two solid weeks in a row. Um, by the way, thank you. I was on the taxpayer dime. I was working for the Social Security Administration. This is back in 1974. Okay. And back then, to go out in the streets of New York was dangerous. And I'm not talking about getting mugged. I'm talking about the air quality was so bad that you... Um, Oh, how shall we say it? Uh, you, the, the handkerchiefs that you would use turn black. I, I'll just put it that way. It's impossible to breathe polluted air without the pollution getting into your lungs. And it's impossible to live in a polluted world without some of that pollution assaulting and attacking, without the, the, the pollution mixing in with the air that you breathe. And it just gets into your system, and it takes a constant vigilance to live in a polluted world without becoming polluted yourself. And that's why when the Bible says, live in the world, you're going to be in the world. You're going to have all these factors going on in the world around you. But don't be of the world. Don't accept it as normal. Don't accept that world around you, that world environment, as if it were uh, unchangeable, as if it were something that is worthy of your life. Let your origin, let your foundation let the, the, the very heart of your being, who you are, let that be found somewhere else. And, of course, that's in Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us, be in the world, but don't be of the world. That's why Paul could say things like, I've become all things to all men so that by all means I might win some. He said, I'm, I'm going to have an engagement with my culture. I'm going to have an understanding of it. I'm going to have a, 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 an ability to converse and communicate and interact with the culture and people who are involved in the culture around me. He says, I, I, I become all things to all men so that I might win some to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not become the culture and not become what the world is. That's a little bit of what we're looking at here in verse 2 of Romans 12. 
uh, he's going to say that um, don't be conformed to the world. You, you live in the world, but don't let it be the form that you're being crammed into. Let, you, let that formation take place somewhere else. And, and next week, we're going to look at the more positive aspect of that, of how uh, we are transformed by the renewal of, of the mind. That's what we look at next week. But uh, for this morning, we're, we're looking at what it means to be a nonconformist in a world that's trying to cram you and form you into its own image, right? To so be in the world, not of the world, rather be transformed and be a nonconformist in the world, right? That's what we're looking at. Are there any questions? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let, let's look at the two verses. This is uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father, there's a contest going on today. And it's more important than what people think. For the contest going on today is the contest for men's souls. It's the contest for the heart and the faith and the devotion of men and women and boys and girls. Father, there's a contest going on today as to whether people will choose death or choose life in Jesus Christ. But Father, we are so thankful that Jesus has already won the contest. He already has the victory. That on the cross, he already defeated death. That on the cross, he has already brought to us the, the power of his blood that we might have new life in him. Father, we're so thankful that in Jesus Christ, the victory has been gained and won and secured and has been given to us by faith in him. We're thankful for the victory in the contest that is going on today. But, Father, I pray that that victory might now be translated into uh, just tangible expressions of praise and thanksgiving and adoration. Father, that because we have the victory in him, we would live victorious lives and share that victory with others. That your Holy Spirit would make it known that Jesus has won over death. Father, we're thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I am pretty sure that my generation was the first and only generation to rebel against its parents and to chart our own course. Now, I'm a child of the 60s, went to college in the early 70s, and so I know, I know what it is to be an individual, to do your own thing, to find out what my bag is. These kids back there, they're saying, bag? What bag? <laughs> it's bag, bag. Bad? Bad. Bag. My bag. My bag. Oh, it's my bag. Oh. <laughs> it's a gap. <laughs> but we knew how to rebel. We knew how to be nonconformists. Can you say a 
bell bottoms? <laughs> now I want you to know I never wore them, but some people wore go-go boots. Wow, that went over everybody's head there. <laughs> but uh, you know, we, uh, we, we had our, our way of rebelling, our hair grew longer, you know, and uh, uh, but what I noticed is the more we tried to be individuals, you know, do my own thing, you know, the more we tried to be not like everybody else, the more we looked like each other. I mean, it was hard work not looking like the, 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 the culture that you grew up in. It was hard because you constantly had to be checking with your neighbor and your friends to see, what do I do now? What do I do now? Because I didn't want to be the only one standing out. Uh, you know, if I was going to rebel and be an individual, I wanted it, it to be in a group. <laughs> and psychologists tell us that the human brain is actually wired and geared for conformity. We are geared to conform to images and expectations of a tribe or a group or a gang. Whatever it is, there's something we're conforming to because in, when we do that, there's certain survival benefits that kick into gear. If you conform to the group, the, the group and the tribe will rise up and protect you. You know, no matter how dumb the group activity is, they'll rise up and say, hey, it's a great thing. When you're part of a group and you conform to their expectations and do what the group wants you to do, then you have identity. You know who you are. Who are you? Why, I'm a hippie. <laughs> we weren't really hippies, but it was cool to say we were, you know. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, and when you're part of a group and you're conforming to the, to the group, things get easier. You really don't have to make decisions. It looks like you're making decisions. It looks like you're choosing, not that, but I'm choosing these new set of values and, and lifestyles and things like that. It looks like you're making decisions, but in point of fact, you're not. All you're doing is just following the group. And so it looks real cool, and it looks like you're, 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 you're accomplishing something. But in point of fact, when you rebel in a group, all you're doing is changing one formation for another formation, and instead of being conformed to the one, you're being conformed to the other. Now, this, this takes place during the student years, you know, when you're in high school. Um, yeah, they had high school when I was that age. But... Uh, yeah. but uh, uh, it, it happens in the high school years where you decide, well, I can't just be what mom and dad said I should be. I mean, that was fine uh, for a while when you're a kid. And in and, 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 and point of fact, one of the things parents are trying to do is to conform their kids to a right pattern, train up a child in the way he should go, help him conform to God's expectations. When he's old, he'll never depart from it. So they, the purpose of the parent is to get a child to conform to a godly pattern now, sometimes we don't do a good job. Sometimes we go overboard and we're too harsh. But that's, that's the parental task. And at some point in the teenage years, you decide, hey, I'm out of here. They're not going to tell me what to do any more than that, you know, unless you need the car that night. But, you know, and, and, and you sort of rebel. But what you're really doing is you're, you're saying, I'm going to format my life with some other form. I'm going to conform with something else. Because you will conform to something. You will conform to something. 
If you think you're not, if you think you're going your own path, you need to just stop and take a real good inventory because you're following something and being conformed to something. The trick, if it's a trick, is to choose the right thing, to be conformed the right way. See, this was the problem with the children of Israel. You read about it in the pages of the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was constantly trying to conform to the wrong thing. They were constantly trying to fit in with the wrong group. The Bible phrases it this way, she chased after other gods. Well, yeah, that's, that's called sin and idolatry. But think about it. I, they, they chased after other gods. And what that means is they, they were saying, we want to be accepted by those nations that have those gods. If we can choose those gods and accept and embrace those gods, then those nations will love us. The Assyrians will love us. The Babylonians will love us. Somebody will love us. And if they love us, they'll leave us alone. <laughs> And if they love us, we'll be just like them and then we'll just blend in and everything will be okay. Israel was constantly chasing other gods as a way to get out from under the responsibility of being conformed to God's plan and God's goal for them as a people. They were chasing after other gods. You remember they came to the prophet Samuel, the the Israelites did? They came to Samuel and they said, look, Sam, we want a king. We want a king because this deal where God rules the nation, we don't like that so much. And you remember what they said. Some of you know your your Bible well enough. They said, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be conformed to what they are doing. It looks like it works for them. Maybe it'll work for us. We want to fit in among the nations. And so much of the problem that Israel had throughout her history was one of trying to conform to the wrong thing, the wrong pattern, the wrong cultures, rather than conforming to what God had in store for her. And that all arises out of our desire, our need to conform. Now, there are times when it's good to be a non-conformist. These are times when you have to say, you know, this, this group or this, this uh, formation that, that I'm a part of, that this conformity, I can't go with that anymore. I need to do something else. It's time to be a non-conformist when something calls you to be better than what's going on. When you're part of a group or you're part of a culture, you're, you're, you're part of a, a, of a life and, and a pattern and your friends all accept it and you look around and finally you realize, you know, this is going nowhere and it's getting there fast. This is the kind of life that is not resulting in anything worthwhile. It's not giving me any satisfaction. It's not giving me any joy. It's not, it's not the kind of thing I can look myself in the mirror and say, I'm glad I'm doing this. All I can say is I'm just floundering here. And when you realize that about the group you're in, and you realize, I need to be a non-conformist now. I need to be something better. And oh, the joy when you understand the something better is to be a child of God in Jesus Christ. I need to be something better, so be a non-conformist. It's good to be a non-conformist in order to maintain your integrity. Let me give you an example of that. Most of us, when we go to our first job, uh, we're not really sure what to do. They gave us a, a, a job description, but we knew they weren't serious. And so we, we have this job description, uh, uh, but we're looking around, we're saying, now, now what do I do? And most people, not you because you're wiser than this, but most people look around and say, well, what's everybody else doing? When do they get here for work? Is everybody early? I'll be early. Does everybody come in late? I'll be late. 
Does everybody just sort of haphazard meander in when they feel like I'll, I'll, I'll just meander in? When do they leave? When is the work day over? Well, it seems like everybody just sort of leaves when they want. I'll leave when I want. It looks like everybody has to stay until that clock hits the dot and then they check out and they're standing there ready. Do they have punch cards anymore? I don't know. When I, when I was a kid, you had that thing where, where you took the card and you punched it and the little parrot came out and punched a hole in it. And then you got in the Flintmobile and, okay. But you're looking around and you say, now how much work should I do? What's everybody else doing? How much time are they spending at the water cooler? How much time are they spending goofing off? And after a while, you start to understand, well, this is, this is the way it really works. And you conform yourself to what you see going around you in your job. That's usually what happens. By the way, if you want to rise head and shoulders above everybody else in the workplace, especially those who get your first job and you really want to impress, all you've got to do is show up on time, do a full day's work, and don't quit early. You will be so odd, nobody will know <laughs> what, wow, you know, th this is impressive. But that's, all, that's really what you've got to do. But you've gone to this work, you've looked around, you've figured out what needs to be done, you've figured out the culture and the ethos of the, of, of the company. So you're, you're sitting there and you're working and you're being happy. And then one day you realize that the culture of this company has to do with fraud and deceit, lying and deception. That there are things going on in this company where they're asking you to uphold a lie. And you realize, I can't do that. That's the moment to be the nonconformist. That's the moment to be the nonconformist to maintain your integrity. When the group and your culture is leading you away from who Christ wants you to be, you need to be a nonconformist at that point. By the way, nonconformity is real good for creativity. Uh, creativity has to do with looking beyond what has been, looking a little bit outside of the box, um, having a notion of possibilities that others haven't seen. So there's a little bit of the nonconformist in the artist and, 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 and in the, uh, the creative person, and we really re uh, rejoice and, and we love to have those kinds of, of people around. But there are some folks who are trying to be nonconformist when all they're really trying to do is irritate people. I mean, all they're really trying to do is just stir up a hornet's nest and make constant problems because, after all, that's how they get attention and there's other issues involved in that. But it's not really a matter of principle. It's just a matter of irritating people. Sometimes it's a matter of rebellion. You know, I'm going to rebel against what mom and dad taught me. I'm going to rebel against what society says is right and wrong because I'm just at heart a sinful person with a, with a wicked heart, deceitful above all things, and this is just how I, I operate because I'm, I'm sinful by nature, and sometimes we're just rebelling. Sometimes people claim that they're nonconformists when all they really want to be is immoral and sinful. Sometimes, you know, uh, kids will find a gang to join or a group or a movement to join. And wow, I look like a nonconformist. How can you tell? Because you look like every other nonconformist. <laughs> same jacket, same hair color, same jewelry, same fingernail polish, you know, same lipstick. And that's on the guys. <laughs> but uh, so often that, that, that it, it has to do with rebellion. It's not, it's not really being a nonconformist. It's just conforming to somebody else. But the key to all this is to know what is worth your life. To whom should we 
conform. Now, right now, you're thinking, I remember that. Paul's already told us the answer to that. He told us back in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where he says, those whom God foreknew, he called, and those whom he called, he predestined, or those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. It's a different Greek word, but in the same word family. But uh, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his dear son, of, of Jesus Christ. That's where the conformity lies. And if we are conformed to Jesus, we will be non-conformed to our world. We will stick out like sore thumbs. I should say we will stick out like the head of the mole on the whack-a-mole game because that's what the world's going to do to you. But we are to be conformed to the image of Christ, not to the world. Now, if you look at the Bible, you see that it really begins with a case of bad non-conformity. Starts in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was a, was a pretty good thing. Can we agree on that? Um, there was plenty to eat. It was all right there. They had meaningful work to do. Um, they had company together. They walked in fellowship with God. It was a great thing. That was their world. And eventually what Eve did, she said, I think I'll be a nonconformist. I'm not going to conform to this world that God has created. I think I'll conform to an image that I will create. This is a world where I get to decide what's good for food. It's a world where I get to decide what's a delight to the eyes, and I get to decide what is able to make me wise. I will decide that. And so she took of the fruit, and she ate it because she decided to be a nonconformist before God and to conform to her own sinful inclinations. And that's what the world became, the world that Eve had in mind. Now, in fairness, she takes the apple. Okay. She takes the fruit to, uh, to Adam, and she gives it to Adam. And Adam does the typical male thing, mm, food, give, mm, eat. <laughs> he doesn't even think about it. But he's sucked into the nonconformity to the image of God, nonconformity to the world as God had created it. And the world has been struggling with that ever since. A world in rebellion against God. And, it, and it, it just surfaces in so many ways. Now, think about Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Esau was the older brother, and that meant that he had the birthright. He would get all of the inheritance. That, the, those were the rules. Jacob was the younger brother. He didn't quite like that. He was going to be a nonconformist. He was not going to conform to the rule that was in place at that time. Now, look, my sympathies are with Jacob. I'm the youngest of three brothers, so I sort of like the idea that the younger gets, gets a fair share and all that. Uh, so, but, but at that time, the older got, it got the better of it. So Jacob decides he's going to be a nonconformist with respect to the rules around him. He's just going to stand up and be a nonconformist. And so he makes a, a bowl, a dish of, of Denny Moore beef stew. And uh, 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 Esau comes in from the field. And Esau is like really, really hungry. You see a pattern developing here. And, uh, and Jacob says, Esau, you look hungry to me. Would you like some stew? Wouldn't you like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd really like that stew. Well, what, not so fast there. How about if you give me your birthright? How about if you let me get what you should get, and I'll get it instead? How, how about if we work that way? That will be a nonconformist thing to do to the rules that are established. And Esau, just like Adam, he says, mm, food, eat. No, I don't care. And he just takes it, he eats it, he gives up his birthright. Now, the amazing thing is, in that kind of rebellious, sinful uh, situation, God used that for his glory to bring the, the, the Messiah into the world through that line. And even through Jacob's duplicity, God worked in an amazing, 
amazing way. But he was, he was saying, I, I won't be a, conf- a conformist. I'm going to be a nonconformist. But it all had to do with selfish motivations because his eyes were not on the right thing. They were on himself. Now, if you want to find good nonconformists in the Old Testament, just look at the prophets. The prophets are like the really cool nonconformists of the Bible because they have their eyes fixed on the glory of God. They did not conform to the kings. The kings said things like, well, you know, I'm king. It's good to be king, and I've got the army, and I can invade who I want. I can fight the battles that I want. I can, I can do pretty much as I please. And the prophets kept coming up to the kings and saying, you know, God's kingdom and God's glory doesn't allow for what you are doing. You need to change what you are doing. They did not conform to what the king wanted. They were nonconformists because they were conformed to the image of, of God in them. They were conformed to the glory of God. And being conformed to the glory of God, they were nonconformists with respect to the king. David had decided that because he was king, he could get away with literally murder. And so after sin with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet went into David, told him a little story, worked around. David said, you know, people shouldn't act that way. And Nathan looked at him and said, David, thou art the man. You're the guy. You're the sinner here. Nathan was not conforming to David's image of what the king should be. Nathan was conforming to the glory of God, and that made all the difference. All the prophets didn't conform to the powerful and the elites, those who were oppressing the poor, those who thought it was okay to take the the, the folks who didn't have as much and didn't have have any influence and run run roughshod over them and take their land and abuse the, um, the, the labor force and those kinds of things. The prophets constantly denouncing that kind of injustice because they would not conform to the world of the powerful and the elite. They were conformed to the glory of God first and foremost of all. They were not conformed to, the, to, to those who would say, well, our religion needs to have a little more zip to it and a little more pep to it. We need to have a little bit of Canaanite religion and a little bit of Assyrian religion because, after all, when you walk into the lobby of those temples, you don't find a Starbucks off in one corner. You find a brothel. And that was, that, that was a better thing. That was ancient uh, Middle Eastern religion. And the prophet said, you know, that's not the way it works. They were nonconformists because they were conformed to the glory of God. John the Baptist showed up on the scene. <laughs> you know where this is going. I mean, this guy was a nonconformist. He lived out in the desert. I know some people who love to live in the desert. I noticed, though, that as soon as possible, they always install air conditioning in their houses. So, but they love the desert. But John lived in the desert. And when he came out of the desert, he was wearing a camel's hair coat. I don't know what that means. I know it's a symbol of prophets and all that other business. But how do you make a camel's hair coat? Do you know how small camel's hairs are? I don't know, can, can you weave those together and like crochet? I don't know. But he comes out wearing a camel's hair coat, and he's wearing a leather belt, which is okay in our, in our world, but back then everybody wore, you know, like a, a cloth sash, you know, that kind of thing. And his diet was honeyed crickets. <laughs> you know, it was honey and locusts and wild locusts. He, he's eating bugs, bugs and beef spit, really. <laughs> That's what he's eating. I'm sorry. But um, I see a Super Bowl party treat <laughs> right there. Yeah. Okay. But, but, he, but he comes, and he's not conforming to anything. And then he comes in front of the people, and he's not even conforming to what a rabbi should be like. Yeah. Rabbis were supposed to be respectful and eloquent, 
John the Baptist would preach and his sermons would start out like this. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, he really knew how to win people and influence uh, folks. Uh, but he was not conformed. And when he talked about what was going on in the household of Herod, he was a nonconformist because he was conformed to the glory of God. He was conformed to God's glory. But the greatest nonconformist of all was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus who came and did not conform to man's expectations. If you look at the temptations in the wilderness, you know, where the devil came to him and tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. Basically what the devil said was, Jesus, why don't you conform to our idea of what a good life is? Conform to our idea that you need to be well-fed, well-respected, that you need to have power and authority, and I can get it for you. Why don't you conform to the world's idea that it doesn't matter how you get it as long as you get it? Why don't you conform to the world's notions? And Jesus kept saying, devil, you haven't read your Bible. The Bible says we are to be conformed to the glory of God. Let him supply all these things, do his will, follow his glory, conform to the glory of God. He was not susceptible to the temptation of Satan to be conformed to the expectations of man. Even when his disciples would come to him and say, Jesus, you're missing the boat here. You, you've got to be more like the people expect. The Messiah comes in glory and all that. There's no cross in that. Jesus said, no, I'm conformed to the glory of God. That means a cross for me. When Jesus taught, when he, and, and, and taught the people, they saw a nonconformist because they knew that, that what you were supposed to say was, well, don't kill anybody. Just don't kill anybody. You can do what you want. Just don't kill them. Jesus said, no, it, it's worse than that. Don't even hate them. Don't even think it in your heart. You know, and that lust problem you have, it just starts with the eye. It just starts with the heart and the mind. That swearing problem, don't try to get out of it because you have mild curse words. Let your yes be yes, your no your, be no, and don't swear by anything at all. Says you, you, you've heard that you should love your friends. Well, everybody loves their friends. And what I'm telling you is you've got to love your enemies. Jesus was a nonconformist. His teaching didn't fit into the mold. You see, the other rabbis would come and you'd ask them a question. Saying, you know, Rabbi, Rabbi Shabbat, what should we do? And Rabbi Shabbat would say, well, let me tell you, Rabbi Hillel said this, and Rabbi Akiba said this, and, you know, and on and on, and would just quote one rabbi after another rabbi. In other words, if you asked a rabbi a question, he would give you nothing but footnotes about what everybody else said. But when Jesus taught, the people were astounded because he taught as one having authority all his own. You see, he was a nonconformist who was conformed to the glory of God. And when he went to the cross, he wasn't being conformed to the expectations of the world. But conformity to God's glory meant that he died on the cross for our sins. Conformity to the glory of God meant that he, the, the sinless one, became sin on our behalf. Conformity to the glory of God meant that when he shed his blood, it was so that we might be cleansed, washed, and made whole again. It meant that when he died on the cross and everybody knew death was the last word, he came out of the grave and he refused to conform to death. He was the nonconformist because he was conformed to the glory of God. You see, you'll conform to something. You will conform to something. The question is, 
to what will you conform? And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that, that uh, God's destiny for us is that we be conformed to the image of, of, of Christ, to the image of God's Son. But Paul says, I want you to understand what that means. And so when we go to Romans 12, verse 2, all that was introduction, this is the Bible study. Ah, we're good. First thing he says in verse 2 is, by the mercies of God. Now, you and I both know that's in verse 1, but that's the foundation of it all. By the mercies of God, by everything we've talked about in chapters 1 through 11, because Christ has died for our sins, because we have been raised up with Christ to walk in the newness of life, because we have the power of the resurrection given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, because grace calls us out of where we are to where God wants us to be, because all this takes place as we are connected with that grace by faith through the, the, the miraculous grace of God. Faith in that grace gives us a connection to the power of the resurrection. Because of all that, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, Paul says, do not be conformed. Don't be crammed into the box of the world's expectations. Don't, don't let it shape you and tell you what you need to be and have to do. Don't be conformed to this world. Now, the Greek word for world there is not the word we would normally expect. It's not the word cosmos. It is the word eon. That is, you could translate it, do not be conformed to this age. And that's why when we're talking about not being conformed to the world, it has just about very little. It has something to do, but very little with outward, just visible little little things on, on the outside. You know, some people have thought, well, wow, um, conformity, to be a nonconformist to the world means that we'll start our own commune. And in our own community, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have our own thing going on. We'll start our own football team, have our own fight song, and we'll name ourselves the, Am the Amish or something. I don't know. What would the fight song of the Amish be? <laughs> uh, we don't fight. We don't fight. No, no, no. We don't fight. Okay. I like that. Uh, <laughs> But what you invariably discover is even though you're wearing clothes in styles that's 150 years old, it, it says nothing about the heart. It says nothing about how you treat one another. All that's taking place by the work of the Holy Spirit within. See, don't be conformed to this age, to the, to the spirit of this age, what the Germans would call the zeitgeist, uh, that, that, which literally means the spirit of the age. Um, don't, don't be um, conformed to what the world does because it doesn't matter where you go, whether you're looking at a, a, a culture that is just pretty straight-laced and, and uh, conservative or if you're looking at a culture that's kind of socialistic or you're looking at a culture that's goth or something and, or you're, you're looking at a, at a culture that's just, you know, just sort of in, into uh, trips and things like that. Well, that betrays my 60s upbringing. But it... it all those things have this in common. Each one of them puts God out of the picture. And that's the spirit of this age. That's what he means when he says, don't be conformed to this age. Don't let your life be run by folks who care nothing and know nothing about who God is. Don't let your life be shaped by those for whom the glory of God is a laughable concept. Don't be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to this world because it's so easy to let that happen. We're wired to be conformed to something and so often the path of least resistance is to just go along with the world. 
don't be conformed to this age. I'm just going to go on, but rather be conformed to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Be conformed to who Jesus Christ is. And we're going to look at that next week. We'll, we'll pick it up here at this point next week. But for this, uh, this morning, my challenge to you is to go through this week and just start cataloging all the places where the world is shaping you and pushing you into a box where you shouldn't be and you don't need to be. Just start looking at all the things about your life that you're doing because the world said you need to conform to what we expect out of you. And then just pray about where that thing, where that area of your life fits into the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Start working on that and start praying on that. But just do an inventory, first of all. It may surprise us how much of our lives are being conformed to the image of this age rather than to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. But the wonderful thing is that the Holy Spirit isn't done with us yet because we don't need to be conformed to this age. We really can be transformed by the renewal of our minds in Christ Jesus when we know what God's will is, and then we know what really is good, what really is well-pleasing and acceptable, what really is the perfect will of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending your Son. When we cared nothing about you, you cared everything for us. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit for when we were totally reliant upon ourselves and therefore weak, you gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit and made us strong. Thank you, Father, for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ, who not only by his perfection and his righteousness and his glory shows us our sin, but also opens opens up life for us that we can just walk out of that grave. Thank you, Father. And so I ask that we would have our eyes fixed upon Christ. He would be the foundation stone for all that we say and do, that we would be conformed to Jesus for your glory in his name. Amen.